Well, welcome, Bible Love listeners, back to this very special series that we are doing this summer called Women in Ministry. I'm so thrilled to be doing this. A little nervous. Don't have my uh, co-anchor with me, Alan, but um, he's taught me how to do it, so here we are. And I'm so glad to introduce you to our first guest in the Women in Ministry series, the Right Reverend Ann Hodges Koppel. She is the Bishop Suffragan of the Diocese of North Carolina. At one time, she was my bishop when I served in the Diocese of North Carolina. She's always been a wonderful mentor and friend and not, not her colleague, but someone that I could trust and share whatever I needed to share with. You always had such an open door policy for me, Bishop Ann. So I'm glad you're here. Before we start, I'm going to start us in prayer. And so this is the prayer attributed to St. Francis. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome, Bishop Ann. I'm so glad to see you after a few years. I know. I know. This is great. I feel like you're right here. Well, you are in my family room, just virtually. (laughs) Just virtually. And you're in mine. I'm at my home today, too. So the first question I wanted to ask you, Bishop Ann, can you talk a little bit about what your title is of Bishop Suffering? Just those that don't understand will understand that a little bit more. Not at all. Not at all. And I just, let me just say again, what, how delighted I feel and honored and blessed to be with you. Um, cause we just always have good conversations. We do great conversations. And I think so much about life in Christ is about that communication, being in communing by understanding and listening to somebody else. And I, I love to be with you. So this is great. So yeah, you know, I don't get that question as often as I'd like, but I get it. And I certainly, had to think about what that meant uh, because, first of all, I never even thought about being a priest in the Episcopal Church, let alone becoming a bishop. So everything about who I am, where I am, you know, it's just sort of like a big surprise party to me. So uh, this word, Bishop Suffragan. So I, here's the easiest thing to start off with. Know how we have suffrages in our daily office. Suffrages right. are these things that we're pray- we're asking God, right? We're asking. Remember the the suffragettes of old. Uh, at we're asking women, and 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 not just asking, asking, petitioning, just dang short of demanding, but saying, mm-hmm. "Here is what we need to the best of our discernment." When now a bishop diocesan who has certain canonical roles, 
has uh, is this authority in certain canonical defined ways, but the canons are just laws. A bishop suffering can go hire an assisting bishop, and that's a good and fine thing to do. That and, and but hires a retired bishop diocesan usually, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. When a convention meets and says, actually, we'd like to elect through prayer, through discernment, through searching, and ask ask the Holy Spirit to lead us in choosing. So a bishop suffragan is chosen for first convention grants permission for a search to happen for a suffragan. And then there's an election, then a consecration. So the, the easiest thing to say, if I can say it this way without it sounding too boastful, a bishop suffragan is a, the bishop you prayed for. And not that that's not true of a diocesan, but tra- prayed, elected in the sense to be an extension of the authority of the bishop diocesan. So it is someone you asked for, you know, be careful what you pray for, because sometimes your bishop <laughs> can be kind of troublemakers. And a bishop suffragan also has to pray and ask that the role, the role and the call and the vocation is used to augment and to follow the episcopate of the diocesan. So yeah. I share things. I share things with Bishop Sam. I share episcopate. Uh, but I also, I guess you could say, have tenure mm-hmm. because then I can also say things like, you know, by the way. <laughs> right. I love <laughs> that. Yes. I love how you said that it's the bishop you prayed for. I think that is such a beautiful yeah. thing. And you have served in a different role as bishop, too. And we'll we'll get to that in a minute. I want to kind of I want you to think back in your memory um, you did not grow up Episcopalian, right? Is that correct? Oh, yes. You, oh, you yes, did. Ma'am. Okay. You grew up Episcopalian, but you are um, a wife and a mother and a grandmother. Yeah. Tell us about that first calling that you felt to serve God in ministry in this way, not as a bishop, just as an ordained, not just as an ordained person. Right, right, right. So, um, Gosh, yeah, that's complicated, right? Because I did grow up in uh, the church, and at the church I grew up in, Mary Balfour, only men right. had roles, spoken roles, in the liturgy. It was morning prayer with communion, first Sunday of the month. Only men could lay read. Only men could be anything in the service, right? And because I sang in the junior choir at the nine o'clock service, I could see everything that was happening. Right. It, that didn't seem wrong to me. That seemed, that's what was normal, right? Right. Uh, as I grew up and that lasted a long time. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, when I saw women, they were either in the senior choir or they were altar guild, right? They had their hats on and they had smocks on. Mm-hmm. And they had very defined ways that they could approach the altar. Didn't think, but which I think is interesting, right? Right. They needed to get all covered up, covered That's up, right? And probably didn't probably didn't speak very much either, did they, Bishop? Oh, no. no. And so, so that was all normative mm-hmm. and very explicitly so. It was unapologetic. Men are called to these things. Women are not. And for the longest time, I just kind of accepted that. Mm-hmm. So by the time I started to question that, I, unfortunately, I'm more questioned in terms, in terms of, <clears throat> well, what kind of church would, would do that, right? What, what kind of church? And um, <clears throat> I did kind of, you know, so to me, it was like this huge surprise 
when uh, one day I was at a church in another diocese and I saw the first woman priest I saw ever. Wow. And, and I you remember I, that moment. Absolutely. And I think I was like 22 years old. And of course, things had started to change, but I had not experienced it. First. And there was just kind of this, what? And it was sort of like I'm the not. scales falling off of your eyes. Like it had been right in front of you, but you hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. Now, I did not feel called at that time, but it opened up a vista uh, that I can use fancy words for now you know, of inclusion, of hospitality, but it just opened up possibility and something about it felt so right. And I, and I kind of want to fast forward and let me just say, it's been interesting to be in that role other sure. places but early on. And I can go on and on about this stuff, Mary Balfour, but let me tell you early on, it was made very clear to me explicitly about all the reasons women shouldn't be priests, including that how horrible it would be. What if she was pregnant? Mm -hmm. I know that's going to fall on your listeners ears kind of odd, but you don't understand. There was a time where you could not even put a pregnant, a very pregnant Virgin Mary on the cover of a diocesan newspaper. That, that was, that was, well, there was a time where once you were pregnant, you had to quit your job right back in the 1950s. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't think we remember for how long the female body was something to exclude and hide. Yeah. But never you know, really I recently, why. <laughs> I recently was watch, following this female priest on Instagram. She's a little bit younger than I am. And she just had a baby. And she was talking about clergy image, which if you don't know who that is, um, listeners, that's a um, women's um organization that helps put together clerical collars and, and investments and that kind of stuff for women. But she had just ordered the one that you could um, use for breastfeeding. And I thought, how far have we come that this is amazing that a woman can wear her, her um, clergy collar and still breastfeed her baby at the same moment. And there's no shame in that. And it just Warmed right. my heart so much, you know. Well, for, and I'm I'm kind of skipping through some things, but but I was ordained in 1987, and I did have one of those did clergy you? shirts, and it was the first of all that. And let yeah. me tell you, it there was still it was not easy to go to clergy conferences I with bet. your with your nursing child. Let me just let me just put it that way. But it really took a while. And that's a longer story. It took a while for me to understand that I could be called as a woman. And part of the reason I was ordained in the diocese of North Carolina is because I could go through, which was not my home diocese, I could go through that process without needing to defend the ordination of women. I could do my discernment, uh, not not an advocacy for an entire class of people. And so so this, this diocese really helped me in the early 80s understand um that i could i could hear a call or or not that i was hearing a call and i could enter into a trusted time of discernment but um but it, I didn't it took know a while. that about the diocese of north carolina that makes me so yeah. proud i'm so yeah. glad to know that yeah, we you, had ordained women by the early 80s that's great and of you, course you know, i was just gonna say as you know when i went through the process in 2008 2009 and now this was in alabama but it was no big deal you know, I mean, there were so many women that had gone before me, right. just like you. But it is uh, there. But I do remember there being a couple of places that p- 
people saying, you know, I'm not sure if they're ready for a female priest to serve at their church. And I think that's probably still true today, you know? Um, Okay. So you, you went to seminary, you felt, you felt that call. You didn't have to defend yourself at the time you're married with children, without children. So, um, I was, I did not have my, (laughs) so when I was in the process, I, uh, came in one time about, let me think about six months pregnant. It was getting close to the time of ordination. Bishop Estel said, well, why don't we ordain you? In early June, and I, I was very pregnant. I said, uh-huh. Crystal, that's when this baby's due. Right. So, <laughs> that might not work. Months. <laughs> I've waited this long. Why yeah. don't we wait a few months? Um, but, but so, um, when I did start in my first role, uh, as a, as an assistant to a rector at a parish church, I had a three month old child. So and your children there. have never known you not as an ordained person. Oh, that's right. That's right. And they How tell you. Wonderful. Let me tell you a funny story. When the old, I have three, when the oldest was in middle school, he was starting to walk home by himself, which was a big deal, right? But I would meet him, but he would walk home from his middle school. And then I would arrive uh, home from church because I would, I would pick up the siblings and come home. And um, one day I came in the door and there was something, he had a chore. He had a certain thing he needed to do. And I cannot tell you what it was. I don't know if it was let out the dog or it was something that I felt a certain amount of urgency about mm-hmm. that he had not done that particular day. And bad mom moment, I just lit into that child. I just lit into that child verbally. Like, blah, 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 blah. you know, if I can't trust you to, to do this thing when I get home, I, I'm just going to have to quit. I'm just going to have to quit working. And that's the poor boy. I think he was in sixth grade or seventh grade, teared up, teared up. He said, Mom, Mom, you can't you can't quit being a priest. You love being a priest. I love that you're a priest. Aww. Mom, you can't quit. And of course, that was cold water on my face. And I calmed down and said, Daniel, you are you know what? Your mom is out of control. I'm I'm sorry. I lost my temper. You are right. I am not gonna quit being a priest. And but well, why don't we both take a deep breath and yeah. talk about this situation? We're calling. Well, I love like pretend that I handled it. I'm not sure that's exactly how I handled it. But well, that's how but I'm I love remember. that story exactly, and I love that story because that's another thing I wanted to ask you about is being yeah. a mother and a spouse and now a grandmother. You know, as an ordained person. That is not easy. You know, we've see, I've seen a lot of, um, I mean, honestly, I've told you this before, Bishop Ann, I'm not sure I could do what I do if I had children. So I look to you and others who have done that. It's not, a lot of that's my own personality, but, um, I look to you and others who have done that and I'm very much in awe, you know, so tell me about some of the struggles and some of the goodness that came out of that. Absolutely. So, um, there's no one right way to do this, right? And and there's no formula. There's just stories. There's lots and lots of stories. And I, and I think that should be encouraging because I think all parents put a lot of pressure on themselves, for sure. Clergy parents put a lot of pressure. I think clergy women put a lot of pressure, feel a lot of pressure from inside, from outside. We feel a lot of pressure. And I can't tell you how many times you answer that question. Well, how are you going to balance this? You know, and the work, the work life balance question is now more ubiquitous and not so gender specific, but I tell you early on, it was very gender specific. Oh, yeah. 
about, well, how are you going to do this? And so that was something to struggle with all the time. And I don't know that now that I'm a parent of adults and have children, you're never going to stop worrying about your children. You're just not. (laughs) And you're never not going to wonder somewhere in the back of your head, is that my fault? Mm -hmm. And of course, whatever bad thing has happened is your fault. And you, you kiddingly half-heartedly tell your children, you know, when they're younger, well, you'll just have to work that out with your therapist when you're grown. I mean, you're just (laughs) not going to do this perfectly. Um, But, but I will say that as I moved through um, motherhood, I, I, and I've done this, you know how in your GPS you have, you have a route and, and you sometimes you kind of want to look ahead, but then you get that thing that says recenter, you know, Mm -hmm. on your GPS and you're like, okay, well, let's get back to where we actually are, not where we think we're going. Let's get back to kind of where we actually are, what's immediate. And so um, there's a constant recentering as your family dynamics change. So you have to have some adaptability. And to me and my husband, John, if it wasn't working for the household, it wasn't going to work for anything else. Mm. So there was a centering. And I think, I think even in the New Testament, right, even in the first house churches, we have to keep remembering that we're not just adapting our lives to a corporate structure, right? But we are asking the world to help maintain the center we have on Christ at home that then we build out into seeing Christ in the world, finding Christ in the wilderness. The church, in some ways, in its extension, we welcome you into the household of God, mm-hmm. right? Is what we say at the, at the conclusion of baptism. So there is some, there is a calibration that I think John and I never got perfectly, but we were attentive to about how's the family doing. So in our case, in our case, I did not work. I was ordained at 30, but I did not work full time as a rector till I was 47. Mm -hmm. Many of my colleagues, men and women, were working more hours than that and had loftier titles. And that's not really kind way to put that, but you know, they were, they were doing these really big, big things. And I'm like, I can't do that yet. I can't do that yet. So for me early on, uh, the first, you know, almost two decades, um, it really needed to, if it wasn't going to work for our household, whatever it was. Now I, did I say I didn't work full time? I worked hard. Oh, I'm right? sure so you did. Then, I'm sure you did. ministry for years. And then I was in campus ministry for years and I worked hard. I worked smart, but I worked in a calibration that I think gave our kids good things as we went along. Well, and so good for you. But go ahead. Well, good for you for like realizing, I know you worked hard and I have no doubt about you that I've been around you enough, Bishop Ann, to know that your heart is so for the Lord and so for ministry. But good for you for being able to recognize it's not quite my time yet to do that. This is what I can do right now. Boy, when it was your time, man, you became the rector of big church you did that for many years, and then God called you to become a bishop. So tell me a little bit right. about that. So a little bit about that. Um, no one could have been more surprised than, than than I was and remain, because that is not something I'd ever seen in myself, aspired to. Um, but but when Bishop Curry, as, as, as you know, was here and was talking to us in some language that's evolved about uh, some missional work, when I read the portfolio for the call of a bishop suffragan, 
Um, when I went through that portfolio, I was like, well, wait a second, uh, young adult ministry, global ministries, justice ministries. I kind of went through this and I went, but I, I do have some thoughts on these things. And some friends challenged me. They said, well, why wouldn't you at least be part of the conversation? Mm-hmm. And that shifted something in me rather than being like, do I want to be a bishop? Do I want to be part of a conversation about these things? Because a process of discernment is again, a rich conversation. So sure. I kept waiting to be eliminated. That was interesting. I not. I kept kind of hoping, <laughs> maybe that's not, you know, I, I kept waiting in some ways, hoping to be eliminated, but as you can tell, I'm, I'm loquacious, but I was interested in those areas and I had ideas and I had thoughts. Let so, me ask you this real quick, Bishop Ann, did you know any other women bishops at the time? Okay. Let me go back. Let me go back a second. Are we I friendly did, with any other women bishops? No. No, no, I didn't know. And and the thing is, in fact, there were all kinds of, which I didn't know about, there were all kinds of programs that were kind of out there, kind of helping people hear women think about this, hear that call. And I'm so glad they were, they are, and they were. No, 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 no. Now, had I, uh, we had had a couple of women be in some election processes Mm -hmm. in North Carolina. Had I advocated for bishops becoming women? Absolutely. Um, There's a funny story I can tell you later about, Barbara Harris. So I knew of women who were bishops. I had championed that since the eighties, but, but nobody, there was other than someone I did not know till I was ordained, Susan Goff in Virginia. There were no women bishops in the South. They, they, they just weren't. And so that must have felt intimidating in some ways, but also very empowering too. I hope. Yeah. Um, intimidating. You know, that depends on who you mean. Not much intimidates me well, for, I know. except God. Right. And I think, I think the last thing I wanted to do, the only thing I've really wanted to do is, is to serve God. Yeah. And so I, it, it wasn't that I didn't think women should be bishops. It's just that I didn't need to be a bishop. Mm-hmm, I understand. Until I could feel and hear and believe that I needed to just at least have the vulnerability to be in the process. Well, you know, the reason I say that is because sometimes um, I think I don't see other, a lot, and it's getting better, but I don't see a lot, lot of other priests that look like me or act like me or talk like yes. me, you know? And so, it, and that's okay because I want the young women in my church to look up there every Sunday and be like, if God calls me to do that, I can do it too, you know. Right, right. Um, but that's that's what I was kind of thinking. If you don't see other people in your area or your, you know, that are like you, and I'm so glad you and Bishop Goff got to be friends. But you know, this this could be scary. But I'm so glad you took this. You followed your heart, and good for the diocese of North Carolina elected you to this position. Now, something changed a few years after you were elected to this position. Um, Our beloved Bishop Curry is elected um, the presiding bishop. And so then you had to do something you probably weren't expecting, right? And step in as the provisional bishop of the Diocese of North Carolina, right? So what was that like? So, um, and it was called Bishop Pro Tempore. Oh, yes. It's, Thank it's you. Thank distinction. you for that. And Thank it's not you for a big that. deal. It's just a slight distinction. Um, so first of all, let me back up to the day of my consecration, which was at Duke Chapel and 
It was wonderful. Oh, I wish I could have been there, Bishop Ann. Well, I can imagine. It is recorded, and it, the music was great. I'll go back and watch it. it. It's like, you can go to the Duke Chapel website. and it, the music I'll link it to the show notes so I everybody do. can see I it. Mm-hmm. But the, you're, you sign a certificate right before um, you're ordained. And, and it, as I, I mean, my pen was going to the paper when the secretary of the diocese, who was someone I knew, Joe Farrell, said, well, you know, in North Carolina, according to our canons, the bishop suffragan may become the ecclesiastical authority. And I, I hadn't signed it. I'm like, what? Oh, well. <laughs> hey, why is he saying this? And B, no, 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 no. Like the only thing I have signed up for is this one thing. And Miriam um, Alpha, I had to be the only idiot in the Episcopal Church, did not did not see the handwriting on the wall in 2013. I mm-hmm. I just this this job description had been written to go hand in hand with Bishop Curry, go to Galilee. We had this whole missional thing that I was 100 percent in on. So I was kind. Of, so then you know by 14, the buzz 20 a year into it, the buzz was on, and you know appeared, you know, like, wow, this could happen. And I, I was, I, let's see, it's too complicated to go into all the details. It, it, I just was along for the ride. I'm like, Lord, this is all in your hands. This is so in your hands. And it was such a roller coaster of things, just his election. Right. Mm -hmm. But then it started to sink in that there's this option where the standing committee can be the ecclesiastical authority or the Bishop suffragan. So we had to have a conversation. That is where, I did lean in. I'm like, hold on. I can do this. I, I can do this for a couple and of years. you did it this. very, very well. Yeah, you were here then. I, that's you when you, here. my first conversation with um, yeah. you, with you and we, I was thinking about going to Southern Pines. We had a Zoom conversation and that's when I met you. And I thought, wow, they have a woman bishop. This is so cool. And what? And the amount of times you supported me and the conversations. And I remember one time calling and saying, I needed to visit with you. And and your assistant said, sometimes you just need your bishop, right? And I said, yes, <laughs> sometimes you do. And it was just wonderful. So thank you for going along on the, on the ride and seeing yeah. what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And so next you have announced your, and you educated me this morning, your resignation. Right. And a new chapter is upon you. Will you tell us a little bit about what yeah. is next for you? Thank you. Sure. So this, so the way I like to describe this, I have announced, you know, in the secular world, you would call it retirement. But in the church world, when you have finished your certain time or where, it's, where it comes, where you discern that it's time for a certain chapter to stop, you call that a resignation because you're a bishop for life in, in our our part of the Christian family tree. So I am going to resign as the Bishop Suffragan of North Carolina. I will still be a Bishop Suffragan of North Carolina, parenthetical resigned. Um, I feel a little bit like Mary Poppins. Like I, I really, I'm, my health is good. My life is good. My vision is good. Well, actually my vision is not that great, but <laughs> vision for the world is good. Um, it's just time for this particular chapter to close. There's a, and, and a huge piece of that is that I have all my adult children have moved back to the area. This now, and they all have partners who are 
wonderful. Oh, wonderful. That's awesome. And now there's two grandchildren and I kind of have hopes there might be others, but if there's not, that's fine too. And they're all right here. And, and I have uh, siblings nearby and it's it, a fantastic husband. And it's again, the GPS thing. I want to recenter now around my family because I know how hard it is as a young adult to raise children and just to navigate the world. And I think it's gotten even harder in some ways. I'm worried about the post-COVID world. Our kids all went to public schools. Our grandkids are going to go to public schools. You know, what? what's, there's so much to, I'm a former community organizer. I'm a former shelter director for battered women. And my heart of hearts, I'm a local girl. I just so believe, I'm watching uh, we have an urban garden that we share with a bunch of neighbors. I'm watching a bunch of my neighbors out here gardening away. Um, I need to recenter. I'm worried about uh, a lot of things, people being able to vote. People, you know, I want to go back to my core values, which have to do with Sifra and Pua, the Hebrew midwives in that first chapter of Exodus, right? They are the deliverers of the deliverer. Funny how that works. I'm very interested in getting back to sort of the grassroots ways of my baptismal call and doing that alongside families and neighbors and friends. I'm tired of telling my friends, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't. Right. I I hear there's this thing called a weekend. Yeah. I hear there's this thing called a long weekend. So I just want to read. There's this thing called a Sunday off. Where you don't well, have to be somewhere on a Sunday. <laughs> I mean, I will, I will always worship on a Sunday somewhere, maybe my camper. But um, yeah, so it's just a time because I am, I've just turned 65. I've done that Medicare thing. It's like, I cannot believe I'm this old. Um, but I want to get ready for that. I want to really get, get uh, ready for that. That's a big thing. The other thing is I want to make room at the table. I'm a baby boomer. I'm a woman in my 60s. We have a lot of that in the church. God love us. We work hard. But I'm a white baby boomer. I want to make some room at the table for a different life experience, different life experience. And that can be, I, don't, I mean, wide open. It could be anything. Maybe it's another white straight baby boomer. Seems like we have plenty of that at leadership tables. But let I want to at least be a part of making room because there's so much great happening in this diocese, so much good stuff happening in this diocese. And I think it would be better as we implement our mission strategy to have a voice or more voices, you know, depending on how things go, um, at some leadership tables who will be in active ministry for the next 15 and 20 years. So they're, they are building and, and, and shaping and, and talking about informing the church we need to become not quite so rooted in the church we've been. Um, so I'm excited. I just, it's like Mary Poppins. I'm putting up my umbrella. I'm going to, you know, Love and I'm it. doing all that without, without moving my house. I, I, I don't know, have that's the I, I love it. It's wonderful. And I'm so excited about how God yeah. is continuing to use you and your ministry. Bishop Ann, um, when I was thinking about this Women in Ministry um, podcast, you were one of the first people that popped into my mind. Thank you for your many years in ministry, all that you've done 
for the church and for God's people. For me personally, you have sat with me in times that I really needed you. And I know that you'll continue to do that if I need you. You will continue to be a bishop to all people. Thank you for starting our series off with us. Thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And listeners, remember, as always, we love you. But most importantly, God does. 